been uh, thinking together how Christmas is all about God actually coming close to us. Coming close to us in the person of Jesus, whose name, the Bible says, one of his names, Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. Being able to do life with God, uh, being close. Um, I think from God's side of Christmas, God intended Christmas to be a time of great joy. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 10, the angel comes to the shepherds and says this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Great joy, right? That uh, will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Great joy from God's side. But we also have noticed that from our side, Christmas is often a time of great fear, that the idea of God, God, the creator of the universe, God, the giver of life, God, the omniscient one who knows everything, the idea that that God that we think is out there someplace would actually come close to us and invite us into a relationship whereby we do life with him is kind of a fearful idea for many, many people. And so we've seen, you know, there's a lot of distractions at Christmas time uh, that sort of keep God at an arm's length. The truth is, you know, Christmas is the largest celebration in the entire world. Christmas is not just a day. Christmas is a season, right? Christmas as a season, it's got its own music. It's got its own decorations, it's got its own menus, it's got its own industry. Billions of dollars will be spent on, um, you know, uh, all kinds of things. Gifts, cards, parties, uh, travel, trees. Uh, It's a time for Christmas specials on TV. My wife likes that uh, Hallmark channel. All of those things are the same. They all have the same theme. They all end up with the same, you know, ending and so forth. Everything's wonderful. And it's a time for special services at church, right? We have special times when we come together and celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus. And, and Christmas is not just a, a holy day for us Christians. It's also become a holiday for everyone. We say Merry Christmas, and they say Happy Holidays, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis called the two celebrations um, Christmas and Xmas. C.S. Lewis. Christmas and Xmas. And I want to suggest to you this morning that these two um, kind of overlapping celebrations have a single common quest between them. Two different celebrations but the same common quest. Both celebrations are looking for joy or for genuine happiness in life. Genuine happiness. We call it biblical happiness or biblical joy. So the Christmas crowd notices that the Xmas crowd keeps moving away from Jesus, who's the star of Christmas, right? And we don't really get that, like, What's wrong with that? The music is more on the Xmas side, jingle bells and have a holly jolly Christmas and so forth than it is, oh holy night or hark the herald angels sing. Um, And if we 
somehow the Xmas crowd thinks, you know, if we just do more gifts and more food and have more drinks and, uh, you know, have more parties and so forth, somehow we can make our own joy. We'll produce joy. Uh, We'll uh, create our own kind of joy. And I want to suggest to you that while these two different celebrations are going on, this is a great time for the Christmas crowd to reach out to the Xmas crowd because we're both after the same thing. We both want joy. We both want just to be happy. Um, There was a survey I read about, uh, I think the Barna people did it, and they were just out in the airport, and they were just asking people randomly, what do you want out of life? What do you want out of life? What do you want out of life? Just asking people. You know what the number one thing people said? I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. You know, And then to ask the question, well, what would it take to make you happy? And I, I think here's where the uh, Xmas crowd doesn't understand. This Xmas crowd of joy seekers doesn't get... Uh, the Christmas that some of us Christmas crowd people are trying to hold on to. The ancient tradition, right, about a baby who somehow came from heaven and, you know, uh, turns into the light of the world and saves everybody from everything and uh, brings eternal life and turns the light on inside of our inner being and so forth. The Xmas crowd just doesn't get that Jesus actually is the source of great joy. Great joy. Uh, Jesus came and God wrapped a number of gifts as Mike started to enumerate a number of gifts like uh, peace and hope that we've looked at and joy and love and salvation and eternal life and we could just go on and on and on. But you might notice that those gifts, gifts like hope and peace and joy and love are for the inner person. They come from the inside out. They come from a relationship of Jesus being close and being in our hearts and work their way out into our life. The Xmas crowd is looking for the joy and the gifts to come from the outside in. Somehow rearranging the world to be able to uh, find the kind of joy and the kind of happiness that I'm really looking for. And even though these two crowds go further and further apart, it's true that both the world and the church are looking for joy through Christmas. And I want to suggest to you that the joy that Jesus brings lasts forever. Um, In fact, it gets better as we get older, right? I mean, just look around for some of the gray-haired people and ask them if your joy has become increased as the years have gone by. The anticipation of hope and looking forward to the promises of God on the other side of this life becomes more and more precious. The joy that Jesus brings lasts for eternity. Uh, Second, I would say to you that the joy that Jesus brings is the most expensive joy you could ever have. It was paid for with the precious blood of the Son of God. And yet it's absolutely free to you and me. It's all by grace. It's all a gift from a loving God. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. This is a great salvation and it produces great joy. Uh, Third, the joy that Jesus brings to us comes with power to change us. We don't have to be locked into who we are or who we were. It comes with power to change us. And when we change it enables us to live differently. 
And the whole world benefits by us living more and more like Jesus lived. Think about how the world benefited from Jesus being with us, among us. And then finally, the joy that Jesus brings uh, comes to us simply by believing him. By believing him, by taking him at his word. Uh, Listen to this in John chapter 15. It's the passage about, you know, uh, you're the vine, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and uh, he who abides with me, he who's with me, you know, that uh, person. Look, Look at what Jesus says. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Great joy. Great joy. Uh, Jesus said, look, I'm telling you all of this so that my joy can be into the joy I have with the Father, could be in you, and if that happens, you can have fullness of joy. You can live life with Christ and experience the reality of the fullness of joy. And I think that's why the Bible can tell us, you know, in uh, Thessalonians, rejoice always. Rejoice always because this Jesus who comes and if we invite him into our space and into our hearts, this Jesus who comes to live with us is not going anyplace. No matter what happens in this life, once he uh, comes into our hearts and once he takes up residence there, he's not going anyplace. And so in the midst of even adversity and all the things that happen to us in life, we have this source of joy. And, um, you know, I want to suggest to you that the Bible teaches us that every person in the world, including each one of us, is related to or descended from or is living the life of one of two people. I'm in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along here. Uh, This is really a great uh, thought. Uh, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam became a living being, right? We all know that, you know, Adam from Adam and Eve. He became a living being. Uh, And that's what it says. The last Adam, Jesus, okay, became a life-giving spirit. Life-giving spirit. You invite this Jesus into your heart, into your space, into your life, And he is a life-giving spirit. He comes by the person of his spirit. And he is a life-giver. And it comes from the inside, okay? And so it says the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Now here's the verse. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Everybody sitting in this room is either living a life that was generated by Adam, the first Adam of Adam and Eve, natural life, or the life of Jesus, who came into the world to be a life-giving spirit and who takes up residence in his children and turns us into life-giving people, right? Uh, Life-giving people. 
And so when you think about this, um, at Christmas time, and I, I, let me just, I, I like to read this verse often, and maybe I've already read it here, but um, I think we get a little confused because I thought, you know, for a big part of my life that I was made in the image and likeness of God. My parents read to me, you know, the first couple chapters of Genesis, but then one day I got to Genesis chapter 5, and look what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. When Adam, first Adam, lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Rats! You know what happened in between here? He sinned. He blew it. He brought on death. He brought on sickness. He opened our lives up to all the misery and pain that Satan can manufacture. And then it says everybody from Adam to you and I today have been born in the likeness of Adam and in the image of Adam instead of in the image of God. And so then Jesus comes at Christmas time and he enters this line of humanity he becomes a natural human being in the line of Adam and he intersects that line he intersects that line and he's very different he intersects that line of Adam the first Adam he's different he's holy he's perfect he's a life-giving spirit he's from heaven he takes on himself everything that's wrong with Adam's line he dies in the place of humanity, according to 1 John 2, 2. He didn't just die for us Christians. He died for all the people in all the world. Drives me nuts that so many people are leaving such a gift on the table that they don't understand their, their sins have already been paid for. 1 John 2, 2, for those Calvinists who are with us. Um, now listen, when you invite that Jesus into your space, into your heart, into your inner being, if you choose to trust him and believe him, then God, our Father, uh, takes over. God knows it, and he transfers us, all right, from the line of Adam, out of our natural kind of living, into the line of Jesus, into the kingdom of God, into this life-giving living, and we have this opportunity to live with this joy that comes from inside. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes to this church, and here's how he puts it, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, verse 13, or 12, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. How do you become a Christian? You invite Jesus into your space, and then God takes over, and God transfers us out of the line of Adam, which ends in death, eternal death, and into the line of Jesus, which ends in eternal life. And how does it happen? God does it. 
when you invite Jesus into your space, God knows. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God. He transfers. You know what our job is? Believe it. Believe it. Do you believe that's who you are today? Somebody who's been transferred out of the natural line of Adam and into the line of Jesus on your way to eternal life. And does that create great joy in your life? We are a new creation, the Bible says, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can still remember the first time I read that and got a hold of that. No condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Not because we don't deserve it, to be condemned by a perfect, holy God, but because God has taken upon himself our bad and paid for it with Jesus' precious blood. That in itself ought to create a ton of joy. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, I think... uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul kind of reiterates this in a little bit different uh, way, but um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 29, uh, here's what we read. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Right? We have nothing to boast about. When, when we stand in the presence of God or when we come together to worship like this, uh, our boast is not, you know, what a good, great guy I am, and what a, let me tell you what I did last week, Lord, and you're going to love me more, and all this kind of, no. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, listen to this now, he, God, he, God, okay, is the source of your life. Where's your life coming from? Is it coming from the natural, from the line of Adam, the first Adam, or is it coming from Jesus, the second Adam, who's a life giving spirit. So Paul writes to this church and he says, he, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom. Anything we know that's wise came from Jesus, uh, whom God made our righteousness. Our righteousness. Do you think of yourself as a righteous person this morning? Because God made Jesus our righteousness. We are righteous before him. We're not afraid to die and stand before the God who knows everything there is to know about us all the way down to our thoughts, you know, and our inner uh, attitudes, motivations, all of it. We're not afraid to go there because we've been declared righteous through the gospel. You know, the gospel really does change everything. Changes everything. And then he goes on and he says, not only is he our righteousness, he's our sanctification. Jesus is the process by which we are changed, sanctified, by which the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us, and he is our redemption. He's the one who paid the price to make it all right with God. He's our redemption. He is the one whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, and therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts or let anybody who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's our boast, right? Reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 9. I don't know if you're familiar, but back there in Jeremiah, it's like, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the rich man boast of his riches, let not the strong man boast about his strength, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he knows and understands me, God says. There are some, there's one thing worth boasting about in life, right? And it's our Lord, 
uh, to glorify him and so forth. Uh, Paul again says it in um, Romans and uh, I guess Romans 5.17 saying the same thing. These two lines, one of the first Adam, one of the second. If because of one man's trespass, Adam, if because of one man's sin, one man's trespass, death reigns through that one man. Death came into the world because of Adam's sin, okay? Then Paul says this, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If by one man sin came into the world and death spread to all men, how much more those of us who have received the grace of God will reign in life, will be life-giving spirits to the world around us. Because joy isn't dependent on circumstances but on faith, Uh, God doesn't pretend that evil or suffering goes away, um, but says instead that we are more than conquerors in the midst of all those kinds of things. Uh, Faith uh, is a way of life, right? Faith, Faith is a way of life that's built on our beliefs. Faith is beliefs and action. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think faith can only be proven by our actions. Faith can only be proven by our actions. Uh, for us Jesus followers, a lack of faith is seldom a problem of disbelief. It's usually a problem of fear or some other kind of emotion Uh, that keeps us from expressing the truth about who we are and how we really feel and what we really believe. And uh, I call them joy bashers. There are these things that come into our life that put dents in our joy, you know, and uh, they're like joy bashers. I think about Job. You know, most scholars think the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, written before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And, uh, you know, the story of Job, you know, uh, one minute Job is like really having a great life. And the next minute, Job is like got a lot of dents in his joy. And, um, and, and that's how I think life kind of unfolds in this world. If I read it right, those joy bashers have their origin in our enemy, the evil one. And I think that's significant. They stem from being in Adam. Uh, I don't know, maybe you've noticed, but uh, no matter how hard you try... No matter how cautious you are, no matter how diligent we plan, something always goes wrong. Does that happen in your life? Um, no matter how diligent we are. And sometimes, you know, people will get, uh, you know, on themselves and they'll blame themselves for these joy bashers. We often think, you know, if, if only I had tried harder or if only I had prayed more or if only I had lived a better life or obeyed God more, uh, maybe this wouldn't have happened, you know. Or if we don't blame ourselves, we find somebody else to blame. And we say, oh, if only you had prayed more, and if only you had obeyed God more, if only you did better, you know, then we wouldn't have these problems going on in our life. Well, you know, just think about this. Uh, What if we could make all right decisions? What if we could live a life that was absolutely perfectly pleasing to God? What if we had a faith that was perfect and... uh, Could we then live without these joy bashers, with uninterrupted joy? And I would say not yet. Not yet. Because Jesus did this. He lived a perfect life. He was perfectly pleasing to God. He was filled to the brim with the very spirit of God. And uh, he's just getting going in his ministry. 
And at his baptism, you remember, God comes to him and in his hearing says to everybody there gathered, you know, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now think about that. That had to be a high moment for Jesus, right? A joy-filled moment. What would you give to have the God of the universe, the creator, come and say to you, you are my beloved daughter, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. What would you give to hear that from God? Because that's the message of Christmas. God sent his son so that you and I, it's, it's like being adopted. We don't have anything to do with it except to believe it. And God comes and he says, you are now in Christ my sons and my daughters whom I love and with whom I am well pleased because you have been made righteous by the blood of Christ. It's, it's more than we understand. It's more than we embrace. It's more than we realize what God has accomplished for us and uh, what he's done for us. Uh, you are my beloved son. In, in um, Mark's gospel, uh, very first chapter of Mark, uh, here, here's what happens, right? Uh, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Next verse. The spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This great moment, you are my beloved son, you know, with whom I am well pleased. Next moment, immediately, the Bible says, driven into the presence of evil itself. And you can read the details in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4 where uh, you can see what happens between the devil and Jesus. But sometimes, I think part of God's plan is to transform us and to get us ready for heaven and to wean us off of the joy that comes from this world and onto the joy that can only be found, the great joy that can only be found in Jesus. And sometimes it takes that. It takes the weaning off of this world. Uh, Paul, I think, talks about this again in uh, Romans. Now, you're probably familiar with this in Romans chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, you know, who could ever separate us from the love of God uh, that's in Christ. Shall tribulation, distress, joy bashers, right? Tribulation, distress, uh, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Um, verse 37, no, in all of these things, in all of these things, in those things, in those joy bashers, we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, who loved us. For I am sure that neither some more uh, joy bashers, Death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Once he comes, he's not going anyplace. He's going to stay. And it's in all of those things that we become more than conquerors. We're overcomers through Christ. Thanks be to God, the Bible says, who gives us the victory uh, in Jesus. So, you know, we're urged to look at Jesus as our model, right, and as our example and so forth. And, you know, when we get to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, you know what the Bible says? That Jesus endured the cross uh, 
by focusing on the joy that was set before him. For the joy set before him, think about it, the joy of pleasing my heavenly father, the joy of people like you and I being in heaven for all of eternity, the joy of him being with his father and pleasing his father. Jesus focused on the joy in order to what? Endure the cross. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors by doing what Jesus did. Jesus was able to set his earthly life in an eternal context. And when this life-giving spirit, this second Adam, Jesus, gets into us, he gives us that same ability. We're able to set this life in an eternal context. And that does change everything. Eternal life changes everything. And so Christmas is really good news of great joy. Eternal life that was with the Father has appeared and has been manifested and has come to us in the person of Jesus. He comes with the gift of eternal life. One last passage in 1 John, way back at the end of your Bible. In uh, 1 John, uh, John writes to these people, And uh, listen to what he says in the first few verses. He says, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, okay, that which was from the beginning, okay, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Not death, but life. Okay, the life was made manifest And we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us in Jesus. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too could have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son." Fellowship is just relationship. It's doing life with the Father and with the Son. And John is so excited about it, he's sharing it, right? He's sharing it with, uh, he's writing this down so that everybody can be a part of it. Um, When we invite Jesus into our space, into our life, into our heart, he brings the gift of eternal life and he replaces eternal death, Uh, the eternal death of those who are still in the line of Adam and have not invited the Jesus of Christmas into their space. And uh, we read in the Bible that the spirit of God is greater than the spirit that's in the world. And so we never have to worry that, you know, we're going to be outplayed or outdone by uh, the other spirit. And when we welcome Jesus and invite his life into ours, the reality of biblical joy becomes available. Christmas really is uh, good news of great joy, indestructible joy. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And, uh, you know, John here, he's like uh, doing a deposition. The person whom we've seen and whom we've heard and whom we've touched, it's like he's giving a testimony, like a deposition in court. He's like, I'm telling you the truth. You let this Jesus into your space and ye will see uh, there is the possibility for great joy. We're not left to find our way to God. God has come to us, offered us fellowship, relationship that we might be able to do life with him. And then one last verse here in the next verse, verse four says, John says, look, we are writing this to you, John says, all right? We are writing these things 
so that our joy can be complete. You know what? Uh, something good happens to you. Isn't the joy in sharing it with somebody else? Telling somebody? I mean, you ever get around a grandparent? You know, and they're like, oh, you're never going to believe what little Johnny did this week. <laughs> he discovered his tongue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but see, the joy is in sharing it. Right? The joy is in sharing, you know, glorifying it to the next person. Sometimes there's more joy in sharing it than there is in what actually happened. You know? And uh, when it comes to Jesus and Christmas, can I tell you, a big part of the joy is being able to share it with people who are still in Adam's line. And let them know there's a possibility. You can take a turn. You can take a right turn out of Adam's line and into the second Adam's line and find yourself in the kingdom of God where there is great joy. And it's not temporary and it's not cheap. It's everlasting, eternal life, paid for by the blood of God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, right? We would know nothing if it wasn't for your word. And we want to thank you for Jesus coming. I wondered uh, this week, you know, what would life be like if Christmas never happened? What if Jesus never came? What, what would we be missing? What would we be wondering? What kind of life would we be able to live if Jesus never came at Christmas and never went to the cross and never, if you never spoke to us and never wrote the Bible for us so that we could understand these things. We would be so lost. We would be hopeless. We would have no peace. We wouldn't have any joy. Life would be nothing but drudgery. But Jesus did come and intersected that line of Adam, that natural life, and replaced it with a spiritual life whereby we might do life with the Father and with the Son. And Father, we thank you for that so much. Help us to be joyful this Christmas by sharing the good news of great joy that came from heaven to be among us in Jesus.